How many of you are glad to be a part of the body of Christ where you have the chance to make an impact? Come on, we are going to make an impact. And you know, sometimes as we uh, collect resources and we try to use them to make a global impact, to make a local impact, and to make an impact into our future, one of the things that happens is there's so many different ways to make an impact. There's so many different ways to give our resources. And one of the things that happens is, if you hand me those buckets, Pastor Chris, right there, one of the things that, that happens is you, you kind of go, man, there's so many different things that are, are visions and needs that we have and so many different ways to give uh, your resources because, you know, every week we, we talk about the tithe and the tithe is just 10% of the giving that goes towards ex excelling generosity and building the local church. And so we say, hey, if you are a Christ follower, biblical obedience with your resources is to give the tithe. Come on, how many of you believe in the tithe, okay? And so that's the tithe. So you've got that. But then there's so many other things that you uh, that you do because sometimes you, you go to places and they go, well, we're having a special offering today. We're gonna do a, a special offering for this, a special offering for that. So you go, okay, there's another bucket of giving that, that's being passed around. And then, and then uh, sometimes you go, well, there's this thing if you're a part, we're actually a part of a network of churches called the Assemblies of God. And one of the things that they do is that they have what's called a Boys and Girls Missionary Club. And that's where our kids and parents have a chance to give to missionaries around uh, the world and, and put Bibles in people's hands and do incredible things. So we've got that. So that's BGMC there. And then, wait, we're not done because... There's not only something for the kids, there's something for the students as well, the youth as well. And, and this is called Speed the Light. And this is how our students give uh, to missions. And oh wait, we're not done. You thought we were done? We're not done. Uh, because how many of you know we've gotta meet the needs of the people right here in our church and in our community, right? How many of you want, know we have to meet those needs? And so God asked us to do that. And so that's what churches call benevolence. And so we wanna make sure that we meet the needs in our church and in our community. So that's the benevolence. But wait a second, because we've gotta make sure that our church uh, supports missionaries all over the world. Come on, how many of you wanna make a global impact? I do too. And so we've gotta make sure that we support our missionaries and wait, wait for it. We've also got not only the monthly support of missionaries, we have missions projects that we want to give to because there's missionaries that are building bible schools and and doing uh building you know water wells and helping people get water and helping stop you know trafficking human victim trafficking and all of that so there's projects that we give to and then we want to make sure that we support local projects as well we want to do things like give to the food bank and, and second harvest food bank we want to make sure that we support the new orleans mission how many of you know god God asks us to be a part of helping the homeless, okay? He actually commands us to be a part of giving to the poor. So that would be local projects. So you look at that and you go, if you're a first-time guest, you're thinking two things. One is, they need a lot of my money. That's a lot of different buckets that they're asking for. I mean, they're asking me to tithe and give to offerings and support missionaries and give to the student thing called Speed the Light and BGMC and and oh, oh and then benevolence and then local pro. I mean, gee, I mean, how many offerings a week do you guys receive around here? This is really confusing. 
And here's what I want to present to you today as we get ready to dive into God's word. Here's what we've done at Saints Community Church. We've got this down from one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight buckets because how many of you are more simple-minded like myself? Raise your hands if you're like me and you prefer simple over complicated. Come on, how many of you prefer simple over complicated? There's a few of you that are complicated. It's okay. And, uh, and so here's what we've done at Saints Community Church. We have taken eight buckets and we've made them two buckets. So here's the first bucket. Everybody say tithes. Okay, tithe is 10% of, of what we earn, giving that back to God. And here's what I want you to know. Part of your tithe, we turn that around and we actually use out of our general fund. That's how we support our missionaries. Now, those of you that were a part of First Assembly before we merged and became Saints Community, here's the good news. I want to give you some good news. How many ready for good news? The good news is, when we merged, we did not have to cut one missionary that First Assembly was supporting. Come on, give the Lord a hand for that. We are still supporting every missionary. So when you tithe, let's just roll through this list right, right here. I want you just to see, look at all these people, all, all these, these missionaries that we support. Go through the next slide. Look at that. Come on. Look at Look all over the world. Look at those names. Look at those countries all over the We are supporting all of those people every month. Is that the last one? It'd be really neat if there was one more. Okay, that's it. Okay. Uh, and so all of these missionaries, between 25 and 30 people that we're supporting. So as you are faithful to tithe, we're able to turn that money back around and we're able to support those, those missionaries monthly. And guess what? We will not only continue to support these, we will add more to it. How many of you want to support more people around the world? Okay. Then there's a second bucket. So we take it from eight to two. And the second bucket is called Kingdom Builders. Everybody say this together. Everybody say Kingdom Builders. Okay? This is the second bucket of giving. And what we've done is we have combined all of those BGMC and Speed the Light and local projects and global projects and all of those things into one bucket of giving called Kingdom Builders. And Kingdom Builders, let's look at the definition of Kingdom Builders, is the opportunity to give over and above the tithe to make a difference by sponsoring global missions projects, local ministry projects, and future expansion at Saints Community Church. And I want you really, really quickly, I want you to get out your little booklet that you have. You should have a little Kingdom Builders booklet right there in your seat. And I'm going to very quickly in the next three minutes, we're going to run through some of our projects that we are doing this year that I'm so excited about. If you open up, you look at your little, your little project guide. And by the way, I just have to take 10 seconds and give props to the, the lady that made this for us. She's here this morning. She did this entire booklet for us. Shelly, just wave at everybody. Everybody, hand clap for Shelly here. She worked really hard this the last few weeks on this. So look, we are, we are 
uh, our global projects. You, you have the Speed the Light. We are supporting a project called Convoy of Hope in Europe where we are providing winterization kits for people uh, that are refugees in Europe. You can read more about that here. We are sponsoring, you're going to hear more about this one, a church plant in Spain where there are no Pentecostal churches. How many of you are glad we are a part of launching a Pentecostal church right there in Spain? Come on, somebody. And so we're, we have a unique ministry opportunity where we can't tell you where it is or what it is because it's in a communist country and we can't print anything about it for fear of their lives. How many think that's really cool and a little bit mysterious? Okay, let's move on. Okay, and then we, we are supporting a ministry called International House that, that helps refugees in the states that are coming into the United States of America. We're helping sponsor them to find jobs. Most of them are Muslims, and we're sharing the faith of Jesus Christ with them as we help them. Pretty cool, huh? Okay, then there's BGMC, and then there's, we're helping our Louisiana Youth Ministry students right here that we're the network that we're a part of you can read more about that there we're helping launch a church called vivid church in south carolina through our kingdom builders projects i'm flying through these because i believe you're going to take this home and read it later okay then locally look what we're doing locally we are sponsoring the second harvest food bank how many of you think it'd be a lot easier for us to give our resources to the people that are already feeding the needy in our community rather than starting our own food pantry? Hello? And so that's what we're doing, okay? And we're not only doing that, but we are helping the homeless and the broken in our city by, by supporting the New Orleans mission. That project, we're sending a bunch of unsaved athletes from, from our community to an FCA camp to help them hear the gospel of Jesus Christ at an FCA camp. One of our students that is a part of our youth ministry right now got saved at an FCA camp. And how many of you think we need to see a lot more of our student athletes give their lives to Christ in this area? Okay, and so we're, we're giving them money to get to camp. We are going to adopt a local school. We're going to walk in and we're going to tell a public school here locally, what do you need? Because we have $1,500 to give whatever you have need of. We are going to lift up your arms and bless you. And then we have an emergency family fund. You say, well, what is that for? Well, that's for whatever the emergency is. Hello? Okay, and so we are going to be ready to step in when there's a family with an emergency or maybe more than one family with an emergency. We're going to step in and we are going to be a help to that family. And then last, for our future, uh, what we are going to do to expand our locations to have more reach and see more people saved is we are going to get good, adequate signage in both of our locations. How many think it's hard for people to come in here and give their life to Christ if they didn't see the sign to come into the building? Hello? And so we are going to uh, be able to expand in that direction. I am so excited this morning because we have an incredible guest with us this morning to talk about how God is going to use this church. He is, uh, he, they are missionaries, missionary evangelists. They travel all over Latin America. They are my favorite missionary speakers, and there is nobody with more experience that has seen more of the world and can talk about this subject of generosity better than my father-in-law. I want you to welcome missionary evangelists Mike and Mona Shields to the stage this morning as they come. Come on, give them a big, huge round of applause this morning. Good morning. 
So excited to be here. Not just because I'm with my Christy and Wayne and Levi for his second birthday, but to see what God has done here. We've been praying for this for years, for years, and God is moving in New Orleans. How many agree? We're excited for you. Amen. Yeah, give the Lord a hand. We are missionary evangelists all over, mainly Latin America. We just got back a week ago from Mexico, where we were speaking for an internet, well, it was all of Mexico, 1,200 Bible school teachers from all over the country. And we're the directors of the International Latin American Advanced School of Theology. I have to stop and think in English for a minute. We train pastors that are already in their jobs, working. Some of them have been at least two years, most of them five years, 10 years, some of them even 20 years, and say, I need to come and I need to refresh my tools. I need to get some new ideas. I need to get my batteries recharged. And we were just in Bolivia, and we've been in Cuba this last month. We have 31 seminars all over Latin America, month long, where pastors come and do a postgraduate training. And it's been so exciting to see how their churches grow, how they, they move on to a bigger facility, to, they move on to expanding. And some of them, many of them, are missionaries that are Latin American missionaries in countries that we can't get into. So it's a privilege to be here with you, and I'm leaving you with my favorite preacher. Thank you. Thank you. Let's all stand and I am so excited to see the Kingdom Builders program so graphically laid out. How many think it's a great idea? It's a great idea, doesn't it? It's kind of like for the 2000s. Now we're, we're kind of in a new century. Let's do something different. And I think this is exciting. I come to you today burdened and also a very inspired. Having been in Cuba this year, in Bolivia, we were in... 12 countries last year. We were estimated to be in another dozen this year. Lord is moving, but I am very inspired by what's been going on in Burgo, Spain, where there are virtually no Pentecostal churches, a city of 250,000, major city in the northern part of the Iberian Peninsula. And we have a young couple that was saved in our youth ministry when we were missionaries in Chile. And now they're full-time Chilean missionaries from Chile living in Spain and planting a Pentecostal church. I'm going to say praise the Lord to that. They already have 30 people that have been coming regularly, which is a miracle for Burgos, Spain. We're believing God. It's one of the projects here in Kingdom Builders today. And I said, Lord, maybe we'll give them an opportunity at the conclusion of my message if you want to give. Uh, I thought maybe if 50 people would give $100, if, if 30 people give $25. If the teenagers would give $10, I think we could do something significant, fund the whole thing, and also do Kingdom Builders at the same time because next week you're going to get an opportunity to come back. You can pray about it, think about your monthly commitment, and come back next week. It's going to be a great celebration. I'm going to say praise the Lord to that. So you think about that as I speak this morning. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 22. And as you're looking for that on your telephone... <laughs> I, uh, I just want to preface this by saying I've spoken this many times. This is my personal testimony, 
and in speaking with Christy about it this past week, I thought, well, I've shared this before, but I'm going to share it again because my testimony doesn't change. Is that all right? And so I just want to tell you a little bit about who I am, what God's done in me, and we'll base it on this scripture today, Mark 10, verse 17 through 22. Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? Hmm, interesting thing, huh? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear fault witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all of these things I've kept from my youth. <laughs> liar, liar, pants on fire. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell what you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word, and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Jesus, bless the sharing of your word and of my testimony in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Look at the person next to you and say, I give you permission. So I give you permission to take me out for dinner right after this message. All right. <laughs> All right. There you go. You may be seated. What an honor it is to speak in this beautiful church to such a beautiful congregation. Thank you. I do want to mention that New Orleans is famous. Went downtown yesterday and shops and stores and gift places and toy stores and Café du Monde and beignets and oh my goodness, New Orleans, what a place to find. Anything you want, you can get in New Orleans. Did you know that? You go to the mall, you can get Michael Coors. Why, they say there's a big Pandora store here. And in Pandora here, you have to wait in line. You just can't. You have to wait in line to go into Pandora. Prada, Oscar de la Renta. Why, you can buy Gucci. Gucci goo. <laughs> Cartier watches. Did you know that your city is famous for selling? Your city sells more Nike shoes than about any city in America. Did you know that? That's right. One of the big sales area, Nike Air Max, number one shoe sold in New Orleans. Air Jordan. There is a sense in today's world that if you don't have it, you need it. And if you don't have it, you're not, you're not really at the same level as everybody else. You need this stuff. And there's a sense that I have to have my iPad, my iPod, my iPhone, iWatch, iTunes. I, 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 I. I used to exchange money with a multimillionaire whose personal account was a friend of mine. He owned the third floor of a skyscraper in New Santiago. He owned the third floor of the parking area. He was a, one of Chile's wealthiest men. He had cash parked in the Bank of New York, $100 million in a non-interest-bearing checking account. How many would like that? Wouldn't that be great? That would kind of set you apart, wouldn't it? The man was 84 years old, 
and he had made a little exchange room where you would go in and exchange money. I would give him a check for $1,000. He'd count out the money in little piles of tightly wrapped bills and Chilean currency. He'd take my check. He'd validate it, run it through to make sure the check was good before he cashed it, and then he would carefully count the money out. Some of you have done this with exchange houses, and he carefully counted out each bill, and then he would put it in tightly stacked bills and hand it to me. He had cancer of the throat. I prayed for Tito one time. I said, Tito, let me pray for you. I want to pray for you that God will touch you. He was a man who had everything. He had houses, and he had a skyscraper, and he had beautiful Mercedes Benz. He had everything. But why would he need to be there at 84 years old? Every day you could go there, and Tito would be there every day to exchange money. And I said to the accountant one day, my friend, as we were having coffee, why does he's got cancer of the throat? He's made millions of dollars. Why does he come to count out money? Why does he do it? He said, you don't understand. It's not because he loves the work. He loves to feel the money. It's that kind of thing that that young man came running up to Jesus. He had everything. But it was interesting, he came running to Jesus. He ran to him because there is a hole in the heart of every man and woman and child. I have preached in campaigns to tens of thousands of people in country after country after country and everywhere I go, there come wealthy people They have absolutely everything but there's still a hole in their heart and they don't know why. You cannot fill that hole in your heart with all of the stuff that comes from Macy's and Dillard's and Nordstrom's and Saks Fifth Avenue and the Microsoft Store and the Apple Store and fine cars and fine wines and fancy hotels. It will never fill that void. That void is so big, the more stuff you get, the heavier the hole, because only Jesus can fill that hole. One time I was standing in the corner with a friend of mine. I'd gone to Bible college with the abandoned the ministry, got off, started his company. By the time I stood in the corner with him, he had $29 million, over 100 employees, two huge warehouses filled with high-tech equipment, building small little parts for U.S. aircraft especially military aircraft, where he made fortunes on these little parts with huge machines that would build little parts. And I stood in the corner with him, and I was marveling at all that he had. And as I was getting ready to leave, I told him I was going to go into Latin America and preach in another campaign. And, and to my surprise, in the deep winter, probably 10 below zero on a street corner in Minneapolis, Minnesota, he turned and looked at me, and I saw tears in his eyes. And he said, Mike, I would trade everything I have, everything with you if I could do what you do. I said, let's do it for one month. <laughs> His wife took off that day in their Mercedes Benz, and as she left, he said, there goes $150,000 of gold chains, diamond ring, beautiful shoes, a fur coat, that fantastic car, and we are miserable. Why is it the men struggle with such emptiness? The young man ran to Jesus, and he said the most fascinating thing you'll find in the New Testament addressing Jesus personally, good master. And Jesus gave him a very interesting answer. He said, why would you call me good? Only God's good. And the reason why is because the rich young ruler came with a flawed premise. He believed that eternal life was the reward for being good, that if you're good, then you deserve eternal life. 
and that Jesus was good, therefore he had eternal life, therefore because he was good, he could get him because he was good. I've done all these things. I have fulfilled every command. Therefore, I'm good, and I'm rich, and I deserve eternal life. Jesus said nobody's good. He's not the only one that said that. Sigmund Freud, at the end of his career, after a long career of psychiatry, the father of psychiatry made the observation in one of his writings, of all the people he ever knew, no one is good. And there's something missing. I don't have it yet. I have gone through all of this, and I still don't have it. And you will find these kind of people everywhere you go, and especially on the streets in the French Quarter, you will find them. And they're there because they are looking for that one last missing link. And Jesus said to him, one thing you lack. Now, friends, Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. That's the difference. Now, Jesus said, you know the commandments. Now go do those. He had wealth and power and fame and still a scowl on his face. And Jesus said, now you go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. There's been so much misunderstanding about this particular portion of Scripture. Jesus was not telling you to go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then you can become a Christian. That's not... He was talking to that young man and people in that situation. That's not the message for you. It's for him. Now, it does apply if you're like him. And he got frustrated because he lived by a predictable faith. His faith was predictable. His life was predictable. He never missed a meal in his life. He probably had a very nice home. He's identified as being wealthy. His life was totally predictable. It was a predictable faith. I have lived with a predictable faith because when I was in Santiago de Chile, we first went there with Christy. She was a teenager, went to high school there, learned to speak Spanish there. And there were no American restaurants at that time. There was a Pizza Hut and a McDonald's, and that was it. And one day they announced that in the new Santiago area, just a, a few blocks from our house, there came a Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, my goodness, were we excited. You know you're in culture shock when a Dunkin' Donuts shows up, and you get out of your car and you sing the national anthem. I'm telling you, you know you miss home. And... Unfortunately, they only had two parking spots in front of the Dunkin' Donuts. And one day, I decided to go to Dunkin' Donuts. And I said, Lord, if it's your will for me to go to Dunkin' Donuts, let there be one parking space available. And sure enough, fifth time around the block, there was a parking space. It was amazing. Now, that is a presumptuous, predictable faith. Jesus was not talking to that young man about that kind of faith because his money and his goodness did not interpret into his spiritual destiny of eternal life. And somehow innately he knew this. He understood that because 
Our money has no value in the spiritual realm. Did you know that? Uh, a man was speaking with God one time. He said, God, how long is a million years to you? God said, oh, it's about a minute. And he said, God, how much is a million dollars for you? He says, a penny. He said, God, can I have a million dollars? God said, give me a minute. <laughs> you see, our money is very relative to God. Our money in the spiritual realm has no power until it meets that power which God has put in us, which puts us on the other side of the spiritual realm. Now, if you don't have a whole lot of stuff in your house and you watch television, you can become convinced in a very short time that there's something wrong with you, that you lack something. Now, Jesus said, one thing you lack. He wanted to know what that was. He was ready to pull out his checkbook, write a great big check, just tell me how much it is because I want eternal life. Now, in my home where I grew up, we lived in Iowa, which has its own problem, Iowa. I owe the world an apology. What's it like to live in Iowa? I don't know. The best way to see Iowa is through a rear view mirror. And I lived on a pig farm. And we didn't have a lot of stuff from the stores. And I know what it means to go to school and see the son of the guy that owned the implement company in town. And he always wore the nicest shirts. He had the nicest clothes. I know what it is to see the guy that had the feed store. His kids always had the nicest stuff. We didn't have nice stuff. We had to rent the place, and we worked for the landlord. We didn't have a lot of dough. And in the wintertime, my dad, who worked in construction, was unemployed. And we would go months. And some of you older ones will understand that I'm, I'm here today because of government food program. My dad was on soldier's relief. Do you ever remember hearing of that? Oh, yeah. And that's how we had to live in the wintertime, because we ran out of food. And once a year, Mom would take us to go shopping to buy school clothes. Now, some of you remember how that was. School starts in August here, right? Okay, so in August, Mom would take us to a place. The clothes weren't very nice, but they lasted forever. Sears. Sears. The styles were horrible. You looked like a tent. You looked like a tent and a grocery bagger. But at least they lasted for years. And we'd go to Sears, and Mom would go into the clothing area, and she'd get my older brother Les. She'd get him a green shirt, yellow shirt, blue shirt. She'd get him three pairs of pants, different colors, and socks, and underwear. And then all of us would go over to the shoe department, and all of us would get brand new shoes. And in those days, you put your feet in this little box. You look down there; it was X-ray. They didn't know that X-rays could actually give you cancer, right? And you could see your you could see your bones and all through your shoes. It was really cool. Remember those days? Yeah, Sears had those. That's that's why my feet are half as big as they used to be. <laughs> and uh, we would buy a beautiful pair of shoes. Then we'd go home. And when we got home, we'd go to my brother's room, and we'd get into his little closet. And my brother would give me three shirts, three pairs of pants, 
three pairs of socks. Then I would go to my closet, and I would give my little brother Rick three shirts, three pairs of pants, three, and that way we all had new clothes. <laughs> Anybody go through that? Anybody go through Yeah, that wasn't fun at all, was it? And then you'd show up at school the first day, hey, your brother had that last year. We didn't have much from the stores. But in our house, somebody had given my mom an old player piano, and they'd take the player part out of it because it didn't work anymore. It was a 100-year-old piano. You know what we had in our house? We had music. We had presents. And we would sing a quartet. We'd make a quartet. And my mom taught me to play an old guitar. My dad paid $10 for my first guitar when I was 11 years old. He got ripped off 5 bucks. And, he, and my mom, by making the chords, would help me figure out how to play guitar. My mom taught me guitar, and she didn't play guitar. But she taught me by playing the chords, and we'd play together. And that was, we had presents in our house. Mom never missed the service. She'd take us to church. My pastor, his name was uh, uh, Brother Roosh. I don't remember, Paul Roosh. His son's pastor of a big church up in Minneapolis now. And Grandpa Roosh was my pastor. We prayed and we went to church and we found out that God provides. And Jesus did not come to the aristocrats and the people that owned the best implement companies and had the biggest bank account. Jesus didn't speak to the great leaders, the wealthy, the powerful. He touched the sick, the brokenhearted, the weak, and the poor. And his message was always the same. Give! That was his message. And so it was interesting, though, I didn't get saved till I was 14 years old. Before that, I was just demon on wheels. And uh, the teachers would talk about kicking me out and putting me in reform school. I spent se seventh grade, best three years of my life. <laughs> I spent most of it in a hallway. And terrible grades. Pastor Wayne, terrible grades. I D minus, D minus. I never got an F because my dad said, if I came over with an F, he'd just kill me. So I only got D minus. I had straight D, I'm the only, straight D minus. It was awesome. I have old report cards, D minus, D minus. It was great. Mean spirited, couldn't say a single sentence without cursing or saying something awful. But when I turned 14 years old, I went to a meeting one night in the Sims of God Church in Clinton, Iowa, and Jesus got into my heart, and my life was transformed in five minutes. And that's what I preach all over Latin America. And I'm going to tell you something. More can happen in that five minutes than all the counseling you give somebody for a lifetime. How many say amen to that? How remember the day you got saved? How many remember that? Wasn't that a wonderful day? And I went back to school that fall after I got saved, and there was such a transformation in my life, my grades soared from a, from a D minus to a C minus. All in one, can you imagine, to a C minus. I was on my way up. Years went by, and I wanted to be an evangelist. I wanted to be an evangelist. There was nowhere to go to preach. 14, 15 years old. I'd walk up this big hill we called Big Ben, then we'd walk down, 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 down to the creek, cross the creek, walk back up, cross the government land that was in Land Bank, walk up into this big forest that I never made way all the way through that forest. And I would go into that forest, and i preached to the trees, and thousands of trees got saved. 
found some rejected the message that said, leave me alone. <laughs> Hundreds of branches healed by the power of God. We've got Ellie here today. Ellie Peterson's here today. And she, stand up, Ellie. She is an opera singer. Look at her. She's an opera singer. Yeah. Well, so was I. I'd get in the trees. I'd sing. I sing, How Great Thou Art, like George Beverly Shea. Then I'd walk home, and reality hit again. I was nothing, man. We had nothing. And one day I was reading a magazine, Sims of God put out, and said that they were going to form an evangelism team to go to Managua, Nicaragua, and I wanted to go. You had to be 16 years old, I'd turn 16. You had to have a good attitude. Mine was the best. You had to have some Spanish. I'd been in Spanish class and was learning Spanish. And you had to have $500. There, that, there went that. And I prayed. My mom prayed with me. How am I going to get to Managua, Nicaragua? How am I going to get there? I hadn't seen a $100 bill, I don't think, in my life. I had never seen a $100 bill, and I needed five of them. Now, some of you have heard these great testimonies. You've heard it. I went down to the post office, went to my post box, opened up the post box. There was an envelope in there. I pulled out the envelope. How many have heard this? Huh? Pulled out the envelope, looked up. There was a check in there. I ripped open that envelope. I pulled out that check, check for $500. I want to tell you something right now. <laughs> that don't happen to me. That is not my story. How many say amen to that? <laughs> When I need a miracle financially, God gives me work, you know. And let me tell you what, you want a prophetic word? Let's say it together. Work. Good things happen when you Yeah, and the phone started ringing, and farmers called me, and I started working with the animals and painting barns. I painted a house, an entire two-story house, one day on a ladder. I was painting away. The owner of the house, his wife, stuck her head out. I started preaching to her about I was going to Nicaragua, and I led her to Jesus while I was standing on a ladder, two stories high. I was so excited for Jesus. I was going to Nicaragua by faith, by faith, by faith. In those months, I earned $535. I said, if I have 35 bucks left, how many say praise the Lord? I'm telling you, God will help you do what you don't think you can do. Do you believe that? I don't care how old you are. Well, I do a little bit because I'm getting there. I care a little bit. But if, it, if you ain't dead, you're not done. How many are not done? None of you look dead to me. You're not done. Now I'm going to tell you the part of the story that uh, breaks my heart a little. Uh, I don't tell this often, but there was something in my heart that I wanted so bad as a kid. We lived so poor for so long, as some of you will understand. We were poor for so long. My whole life, there was something I wanted really bad. And I'd pray about it. I'd say, Lord, I want two pairs of shoes. I want a brown pair and a black pair. Can you imagine that was my dream? I wanted to have two pairs of shoes because often 
by the time April and May rolled around, after you'd walked on that wet snow and ice, your shoes had great big holes in it. Some of you remember, and you went and got milk cartons, and you cut the milk cartons out, stuck them in your shoes so they'd last longer. How many know what I'm talking about? You'd try to put plastic around them, walk in your shoes. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And you were embarrassed because people look at your shoes, and they're all broken and coming apart. I wanted two pairs of shoes. I had $535, and in those days, shoes were 15 bucks. So I borrowed my cousin's car, and he drew me a map to go to Davenport, Iowa, from the cornfields of, Go I am from Goose Lake, Iowa, and you thought you had problems, man, I'm telling you. Goose Lake, Iowa. He drew me a map, and I drove over an hour out of the cornfields onto a highway, went myself to a shoe store, to a shoe store. And I'm going to tell you something. I felt like a man. You know why? Because I went shopping without my mom. <laughs> you want to feel like a man? Go shopping without your wife. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's right, Chris. Think about that. You look like your wife buys your clothes, dude. You need to be free. <laughs> Jesus set him free. <laughs> Change that shirt, brother. Hallelujah. <laughs> so I went to Davenport, got there, walked into this beautiful shoe store. It had every kind of shoe you could ever see. I remember like it was yesterday. I was so excited. I had $35 in my pocket, and I knew I needed $15. You, can you believe in those days you could buy a pair of shoes for $15? Bucks? Anybody remember those days? <laughs> you could get gas for $29.9. It was great. Walked in there, and they had all these men's shoes, ladies' shoes, every kind of shoe. I walked all the way to the end of the shoe store, got to the end, and there they were brown shoes, blue shoes, green shoes, white shoes, golf shoes, every kind of shoe. And I started trying on shoes, and a young man came and started helping me. What do you need? Well, I need shoes. And my mom had said to me, get the black ones. Those are the best ones for you. They fit with everything. But I wanted brown ones, so I said, I'd like to try on the brown ones. He got me some wingtips. One time I was preaching about this, and a kid got out of his, what is, he started looking on his phone, what's a wingtip, you know? Didn't even know what a wingtip was. Anybody ever wear a wingtip? Oh, yeah. You look like you would have a pair, that's for sure, you know. And so <laughs> I, I tried on the brown ones, and then I, well, tried on the black ones. and what, You know, you keep hearing that voice of your mom in the back. You never get away from mom, I'm telling you. I tried on the brown ones, tried on the black ones, and I tried on a black one and a brown one. That didn't look good at all. The guy said, how, how come you need two pairs of shoes? No, no, I just need one pair of shoes. Well, well that's great. I, I said, I'm going to Managua, Nicaragua. I'm going to be preaching. We're going to be in a huge campaign. We're going to reach thousands of people. We're going to lead people to Christ in Managua, Nicaragua. And I need a new pair of shoes because my shoes are all worn out. And I started telling him how God had provided $500 for me, how miraculously the farmers called me. A guy in Davenport called me to paint his house. A lady gave her life to Christ. The more I talked, the guy was the guy, his mouth was wide open. Uh, I, the more I talked, the more excited I got. He was so stunned. I got all done. I said, okay, I'll take the black ones. <laughs> Mom. And I walked to the front of the store. Now, friends, I'll tell you something, another little secret. We were so broke that I wanted to tithe. Sweetie, you need to tithe. What's your name? Yeah. 
What? Chrislin, you need to tithe. Libby, you need to tithe. And I wanted to give Jesus the best. And when we got paid at the farm, the bills were dirty. And I'd take it in secretly to the bathroom. And I'd carefully wash them. And then I'd iron them so I could give Jesus the best. I ironed my money. And I pulled out these crisp bills that I had washed and ironed. And I pulled out $15 to pay. And just then this salesman comes running up to me with tears in his eyes. He said, uh, Mike, I told him my name. He said, Mike, um, look, uh, would you wait here a minute? Sure. He went running off. He ran through the, you remember they used to have those curtains in the shoe stores? The, he ran through the curtains. He was gone for like 30 seconds. He came running back with a box in his hand, came running up, put it right down by my box, and he said, I'm so touched by what you said about how God helped you to be able to go to Managua, Nicaragua. I used to go to a Baptist church, and about 10 years ago, we quit because we had big problems in our church, and we quit, and we don't go anywhere anymore. But wow, what you said today has really touched me, and I'm wondering, would it be okay if I did something for you for your trip to Managua, Nicaragua? <laughs> I said, let me think about it. Okay, he pulled out $15 and he paid. I paid my 15 They gave me two bags. I was so moved I could hardly speak. And I walked out and I broke in the parking lot. I just broke down. I went over to that old 1948 Dodge that my cousin had found beat up old piece of junk that I'd borrowed. And I stood there and I wept. Nobody had given me anything in my life. Got in the car, I opened up that box. A pair of brown shoes next to my black shoes. I drove home so carefully. I took slow turns. I didn't want to damage my shoes. <laughs> I got home. I put them out on the kitchen table. That night, my mom and dad came home. My sister was there. My brother, they marveled. Somebody gave this to you. A salesman gave me these shoes. We were marveled. People didn't give us anything. A couple days later, I arrived in Managua, Nicaragua, wearing a pair of black shoes with a pair of brown shoes and a brown paper sack for the moment. The moment was coming. First day, we sat in a group, 35 Nicaraguan young people and eight gringos who'd had the faith to get $500 to come from North America, eight of us, 35 of them, and they assigned me a young man to be my evangelism partner. His name was Ephraim. Ephraim and I sat together, went through a two-hour orientation, then he dismissed us to walk out of this huge inflatable tent for 2,000 people. You've seen them, these big, they look like a loaf of bread inflated, and we walked outside in the hot Nicaraguan heat. It was burning hot, and we stood in a circle, and I started practicing practicing my Spanish. It was exciting. I was talking Spanish with real Nicaraguan people, wearing my brand new black shoes, standing next to my evangelism partner, and I looked over at him. He looked at me, tall, handsome, nice-looking kid. I remember he had wavy, curly hair and a big smile on his face, and I looked down at my shoes. And when I looked down, oh, no, no, <laughs> Ephraim, 
was barefoot. And I heard a little voice. How many have ever heard that voice before? And God said, Mike. Mike? I said, I can't hear you. Could you speak a little louder? Mike? Yes, Lord. Do you want to be blessed? I said, not so much right now. Hallelujah. (laughs) Not so much. Mike, have you noticed that Farim doesn't have any shoes? Yes, Lord, but it's so hot here. That's air conditioning. He doesn't want shoes. It's hot. Mike, my servant Ephraim has no shoes. I went all day that day, going around, knocking on doors in the afternoon, inviting people to come to our campaign, meet with brand new shoes on Ephraim barefoot. And the Holy Spirit kept speaking to me, Mike, look, I see it. Mike, the next day, I'm walking around Managua, Nicaragua with Ephraim, no shoes. Me with beautiful new black shoes. I was embarrassed. I had brand new shoes. Here's Ephraim. He had no shoes. God said to me, Mike, uh, how many pairs of shoes do I have? I said, Lord, you know I almost flunked math. That's not fair. <laughs> how many pairs? Two. Oh, the next morning, on the third day, it took me three days to get it. I uh, went to the closet in the missionary's house where we were staying. Rumbled through a bunch of stuff because all of us had our stuff. We had four guys, four girls, and our stuff was all stacked up in the closet. And I rummaged through it. And I pulled out that little brown paper sack with a pair of brown shoes. And I looked at those shoes. And I said, Lord, my shoes. Got in the van. We drove to the tent. I got out of the tent, and I grabbed that sack, and I headed for that tent by faith. I said, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, these are not his size. (laughs) How many know what I'm talking about? So I get into the tent, and there's Ephraim. I said, come up to the front. We went to the front row where nobody could see us or hear us. I said, sit down. He sat right down right here, and I couldn't even speak. I handed him the sack. He took the sack. He opened up. He looked. His face dropped. He looked at me. He said, zapatos para mi, shoes for me. I said, try them on first. (laughs) He tried them on. They were his exact size. <laughs> what do you mean, hallelujah? That didn't help. <laughs> what are you talking about? All right. <laughs> does, does your wife buy your clothes? Hallelujah. <laughs> we walked around all day leading people to Christ that night. 2,000 people showed up. Hundreds of people gave their lives to Christ. I got in that van. I wept all the way home. I wept. I wept home not because I was sad that I lost my shoes. I wept for the joy that I'd learned that I had control over possessions and it was to give them away. And I was so blessed that I shared it. Friends, the only control you will ever have over the things that you have accumulated is the power to give them away.
we've come here today to ask you to consider whether you want a closet full of stuff and walk away like that young man did because it says he walked away sad because he had many possessions. But Jesus did not say to him, do you want, he said, do you want treasure? Do you want treasure? And he walked away sad because he had many possessions. He was confused about the difference between treasure and possessions. How many want treasure today? The treasure you'll have are the people you lead to Christ, are the people that you feed at the homeless shelter. Will be that little church that we're going to start there in Spain. That's the treasure. The treasure will be the people that will come here broken and lost and disoriented, and we will fill this place where they have multiple services. You won't know what to do. That is treasure. And I give you a chance today to decide if you want treasure or you want junk you can buy at Walmart that most studies indicate that 80% of it disappears in 30 days and goes to the garbage. Pastor Wayne, come and pray with us, and then I'm going to come right back. But I've come here today to open my heart with you and tell you that I know what it means to be poor, but I also know what it means to be rich. I know what it means to have lack, but I also know what it means to be so abundantly supplied. And that's how God gave me a heart of generosity, Pastor Wayne. Start with a pair of shoes. I don't know what it'll take you, but I want you to know something. My dad taught me something when I was a kid, something you won't hear. You won't hear it in Europe. I lived in Spain. I've lived extended times in Mexico. Christy and Elizabeth, me and Mona, we lived in Chile. I have traveled every country of Latin America multiple times, and you will never hear this saying that I'm going to say to you now. Son, there's more where that came from. You are the only culture in the world that believes that, and God will give you more so that you can give more. How many say amen to that? Come, Pastor Wayne. I wish I had time to tell you the rest of the stories that I know that Mike has imparted into my life, this spirit of generosity. And he's living that, he didn't just live that that one time, that was the first time, but he's living that over and over and over. I can testify to him as a missionary emptying his own bank account to help support another missionary that was going to have to go off the field if they didn't raise their support. I can tell you of the millions of dollars at this point that have flowed through his hands because I believe that he understands an incredible principle that if you can get and you can make it a part of your life with Christ, and that is that God will always give more through you than he will give to you. And if we today would say, God, I don't want to stop the blessing on my life, the only way to stop the blessing on your life, the only way to put a cap on what God wants to do through you is to believe that everything God gives you is for you. We want to be a people that say, God, everything you've given me is so that you can give not only to me, but that you can give what? Through me.